This episode was actually brought to you by LuxMarket.com. Welcome to the very next episode of the Second Floor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kenny Buller, and today we talk about how to survive, how to thrive, and keep the good vibes going in life and business. Today, we're super excited to bring to you today our special guest, Shazia Nurali. Shazia is the ATV Financials Talent Management Director, as well as she's the founder of the Color Gap Podcast. The Color Gap Podcast is essentially uncovering the uncomfortable truths about the woman of color in the corporate world. And Shazia has brought to light some of those struggles that women of color deal with in a corporate setting. On top of being part of the director of the talent management, Shazia brings to light in our conversation about what to prepare for in an interview, some of the nuances a talent manager is looking for in a successful candidate. As well, Shazia and I talk about what it, is, what it really is like in today's day and age of being a colored woman and a colored person in the workforce and how we could bridge the gap between having those who aren't colored respect and understand where colored individuals are coming from. I'm super excited for this conversation, not only because it's something we haven't talked about yet, but also because it's something that we should start talking about. There's no better than Shazia Narali herself to bring that to light. Welcome, Shazia. Thanks, Kenny. Nice to have you here. It's great to have you here. First question I'm going to ask you, Shazia, is as a talent management director Mm -hmm. at ATB Financial, what does that look like? Because those are three very luxurious, (laughs) pretty words slapped on uh, working for an incredible company, one of the best in Alberta. So why don't you give us an idea of what your responsibilities are Mm -hmm. and what your day-to-day looks like for your career? For sure. So it's really varied, and that's probably why I kind of stuck in this arena of work for such a long time. Um, So a big component of my day-to-day is really ultimately looking after talent acquisition at ATB. So I do have Susie Coe, who's um, the person I also do a podcast with. She recently took on a leadership position in my team, and she looks after making sure that our recruiters are really set up for success in terms of going out and seeking really great talent for ATB and supporting hiring leaders primarily in their quest to find the next great person to work for ATB. And a lot of the work that that team does and um, even what I do as well, what I'm involved with is connecting with great talent and just telling the ATB story, which is probably one of my favorite things because I think it's been one of those companies I tell people all the time, that it has like, actually transformed my life personally and professionally. I never thought I would ever get to this, this level of my career because it was never really an option that I saw for myself. And ATB has just really opened up so many opportunities for me to just be super autonomous and tap into that entrepreneurial spirit yeah. that I have. And so we get to tell that story to candidates all day long. Yeah. And that's a pretty cool part of um, the day-to-day work. Uh, and then a really big part of my role now is looking after recruitment strategies. So really understanding like what are some of the things that are coming around talent acquisition that are gonna be game changers for us in terms of getting to the heart of really um, elevating candidate experience 
So one of the things we're exploring right now that is just like a little nugget in the backs of our minds right now is around the idea of exploring like virtual reality in the recruitment process. So if you imagine as a candidate, you could go on to our job posting and you can actually get a day in the life feel for what it's like to be a banker, for instance, at ATB, which is so different than what you would imagine typically. And so that's kind of what I get to play in now is exploring all of those emerging technologies, connecting that to talent acquisition, and then really looking at all of our products connected to talent. So whether it's digital interviewing platforms or it's our applicant system and making recommendations to our senior leadership team around what we can do to better enhance the experience because we're a very people first organization and currently our experiences in talent acquisition are a little bit disconnected to that. And so it's a really fun opportunity for me to be able to dive in, talk about strategy and innovation connected to recruitment as well. Yeah, wow. That's mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah, it's really I, fun. I really like the whole pull on being able to invest in virtual reality mm-hmm. to showcase certain potential candidates on what the role actually looks like. Yeah, right? yeah it's super cool. This this comes from a place where I've recently been on the mm-hmm. job hunt, and it's so easy to, to to go on the board, see, okay, what does the job look like? And yeah. they give you the description along yeah. with the qualifications, but then it, it ends at that. Mm-hmm. And then as a candidate, you know, I can't help but be very curious to see, okay, well, well, what does the day-to-day look like? Yeah. like what am I going to be doing? Totally. And, and a lot of people, as I'm sure you know, they, mm-hmm. they learn and they invest their time and energy into it yeah. uh, very differently in a lot of ways where, okay, one person might want to read the description yeah. and another person might want to see what the job looks totally. like. Totally. It's yeah. really cool that you guys are doing that. Yeah, it's really fun. And there's kind of this expectation versus reality yeah. norm when it comes to recruitment. And you're basically walking into these job opportunities feeling like you have an idea of what that job is going to be. And people don't really talk about the bad and the ugly parts of the job. And that is an opportunity for us to explore about what's the possibilities of us being able to create that experience for candidates so that they really know what they're walking into. Mm -hmm. And that it's not just a sales job that recruiters are really good at talking about what's really great. But oftentimes, it's we have to bury some of the negative things because you want to be able to paint the best picture and be optimistic. But it's not reality. And changing jobs is a very, I would say, an emotional decision for people. I don't think it's something that anyone should take lightly because it has such a big impact on your life. And so having the right type of experience as a candidate so you can opt in or opt out of opportunities is sort of the goal of where we're trying to go. And so we don't know what it's going to look like, whether it's virtual reality. Um, Automation is definitely a part of the experience in terms of maybe you're going to be talking to a robot in a year from now versus a recruiter on every little part of the experience. Um, But it's really about figuring out how do we enhance the experience for candidates, but also the recruiters and hiring leaders. And it's a really fun place to experiment in. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It's so funny with me being on the the verge of seeing this come to fruition Mm -hmm. firsthand. Like, I can't help but argue that I still love the ability of that human interaction. Yeah, 100%. Right? I know with a, with a lot of ways, like from the human resource perspective mm-hmm. or, or with like online frequently asked questions, yeah. there's so many chat bots that they're enabling yes. into websites, which is great. Yeah. But I find that that only takes you so far until you're just like, it does. I need to talk to a real human. Yes. Right? Yeah, 100%. And I, it, 
I just want to segue into asking you, what, what do you think on top of virtual reality mm-hmm. are some things that ATB is doing that yeah. differentiates itself as, as a financial, you know, banking institution on yeah. top of, you know, let's say things like the Entrepreneur Center. Totally. What are things that ATB is doing differently yeah. to every other bank that's going to make a candidate yeah. uh, more inclined to work at ATB than anywhere else? Totally. I, I think about this concept of purpose-driven organizations, and that is purely what ATB is. A lot of what we do and what we engage in and what we say yes to as a business are really focused around the greater good of Alberta. And I mean, it sounds so cheesy saying that, but it's truly the way in which we operate. So the Entrepreneur Center is a really great example of recognizing a need to build community around the entrepreneurship space in Alberta. Um, Feedback that we received over years and years was that entrepreneurs often feel very alone. And it's like you can find a whole gaggle of people to surround you when things are going really well. But when things aren't going so well, the last place that you would expect to have that sense of camaraderie and community is a bank. And so we wanted to change the conversation for people to really get them to see that we are a partner and we want to be able to look at you and speak to you like a human being. And so that's kind of the way in which we're even approaching everything with technology. It's human X machine. So it's always this marrying of the two. And it's like, how do we use the machines to enhance the human experience and take away the less challenging mundane work so that it's more interesting for people um, to be doing their jobs and be connecting in a more meaningful way to be able to have the right types of conversations with clients because all of the back end stuff is taken care of. Um, And so other things too, like the arts and culture branch, it was the same kind of concept where we knew that people in the arts community really struggled with being taken seriously by banks because their income fluctuated so much and dependent on projects and different clients that they could really get for their work. And they didn't necessarily have that type of experience with banks in Alberta. And so that was another sort of thing that came forward. And that was actually bred by one of our, our team members who was an artist himself. He was a songwriter. And he went to our former CEO and he said, this is something we need to explore. Yeah. It's being done in Quebec. We need to be able to sort of copy that and make it come to Alberta. Mm-hmm. And so that's another example. And we've got things like HBX, which is our boot camp accelerator program for entrepreneurs. Okay. Um, we just have a ton of stuff that's really focused around people. Even in Edmonton, there's, um, uh, I think it's it's Boyle Street. There's a, a bank that we've partnered with that, um, or a, a nonprofit within Edmonton that focuses on supporting homeless people with actually being able to use biometrics to identify them because we recognize that those without a home won't necessarily be able to carry cards and have, they don't have an address, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so being able to change the conversation to treat people like people, even when they aren't necessarily what a bank would typically look at as an ideal customer, there's a humanity behind that experience. And it's been really neat to see um, what they've been able to do with that platform as well. Mm-hmm. That's really neat. Mm-hmm. Lots so going on. There, there's an ability for even those who are pretty much on the streets yeah. to get the, let's say, the, the minimal viable product yeah. which ATP can give, yeah. which is a bank account. Yeah. Like, that's possible. Yeah. And it's that's all awesome. done through biometrics. It's really, really cool. Definitely. Yeah. And see, I love how you still managed to tie that in with machine learning and mm-hmm. all the advancements of technology happening. Because still at the end of the day, and I'm yeah. seeing it now through advertising, yes. right? ATB is humanizing mm-hmm. the entire experience. Yeah. You are putting customers on the forefront of billboards. Yes. To showcase <laughs> yes. that, hey, we care about our customers enough to showcase humans. Yeah, 100%. You know, if willing, of course. Yeah. And that, to me, is so special because... 
that's something that, that I care about is no matter how much technology advances, mm-hmm. we still want to know and hear yeah. that one, people can relate to yes. whatever struggles or, yeah. or experiences we're going through. Mm-hmm. And two, there's actual, you know, evidence, customer testimonials yes. of individuals who can testify that, you know what, ATB did do something good for me. Yeah, right? absolutely. It's yeah, exciting. it is. It's really neat to be a part of that. When you look at now from the perspective of going to the candidate, because I, I, mm. I felt like there's no better person to ask than you, yeah. especially with your role. <laughs> when, let's say, a new grad is looking for a new job yes. or somebody who's had, uh, you know, a couple of years of industry experience, mm-hmm. um, what is, you know, some of those traits and, mm-hmm. let's say, qualifications that you personally believe yeah. they should have, yeah. you know, on the resume, off the resume, yeah. if it's personality related, totally. that's going to make them the perfect ATB. I love this question um, because it allows me to get on my soapbox about how much I hate resumes <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> and how we need to completely disrupt and remove them from the experience. Yeah. Because one of the things that if you've ever applied for a job at ATV, if you're a student applying for a job with us, you probably have experienced um, this whole process around disrupting your resume and telling us your story in your way. And so what we ask candidates to do, and it's not something we necessarily go out and ask for anymore, what we used to do this when it came to our summer program. And something that I would actually really encourage people to think about, regardless of what type of opportunity it is, is think about ways in which you can speak to yourself as a whole person and look at changing up the resume so that there's an opportunity to talk about yourself and your story and the things that you're passionate about and what are your intrinsic drivers. Those are things that humanize you and allow you to make a connection to somebody. I always say that there's this, um, the, the quickest way to really catch someone in unconscious bias when someone is going through 50 resumes, for instance, whether it's a hiring leader or a recruiter, and they're going through resumes, rapid fire pace, they're looking for keywords and things that stand out that just are normal and what they expect. And the thing that will shift their mindset a little bit and get them to stop and think and look a little closer is if you do something that's a little different. And I really, really encourage that. So even if you just go on YouTube and you look up HB 101 um, video resumes, you'll just find tons of videos that students put together. Um, I personally, like, I haven't had to necessarily apply to a job with an ATB for a number of years, but I recently, about I think it's been about six months now, we have a women's network, um, team member driven with an ATB called Elevate. And I wanted to be a part of the leadership team when they opened up an opportunity. And so instead of doing a traditional application, I actually just created an Instagram feed mm-hmm. that was all about my story, who I am as a leader, as a woman of color, as a Canadian, all of these things and all of the experiences and lenses that I could bring to that role. Yeah. Um, and so that was a really neat way for me to do it in the way that resonated with me. Definitely. It was visual and it was really about talking about my story. So that's the first thing is throughout the resume, thinking about video, thinking about Instagram, thinking about anything that you can do to sort of move away from the expected and do something that really demonstrates that you're willing to take a bit of a risk. Because that parlays really well into ATB in general. Like we're talking a lot these days about automation, but automation is just something else that's a disruptor of some sort. It could be, I was having a conversation on Friday with one of our, our directors and he was saying, you know, you can think about automation as a threat, but you can also think about something like if Amazon decides tomorrow to go into banking, we would be wiped out potentially because they already have that sense of trust with people. They've built a product and a platform that people look to, they rely on. And so it could be 
them coming and disrupting us. It could be anybody. I'm already noticing that I'm seeing them getting involved in like business case solutions. Yeah. Helping certain. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, business people with their with their problems. Yeah. Right? So I could I won't be surprised. Right. If I see something like that. But. Yeah, and it's like you know you, they may move to market. They may expand really quickly. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's about competition and it's about disruption. And the biggest thing that anyone needs to survive, whether it's at ATB or anybody else, anywhere else is just a growth mindset and that ability to be resilient through change. And so that, I think, comes with being the best way to to combat it is just to be a lifelong learner and to always be investing in yourself, have enough self-awareness to know where your weaknesses are so you can start to work on those and really figure out what can you do to better yourself as a person. Because if you're that type of mentality of someone that is curious, you seek out information, you want to grow, you want to develop yourself, you want to be a better person, um, we would love you at ATB. And I think a lot of other organizations would be pretty um, happy with that too, depending on how how much they're open to the idea of people challenging the the status quo and the norm. That's neat. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you're trying to indoctrinate this mentality for people who understand what is it that you've done outside the norm. Yeah. Right? So you got your... Become yeah. great. So yeah. did all of our other exactly. Right? Okay, yes. you did a little bit of volunteering. Okay, yes. great. So did everybody else. And then it's like almost like seeing even on the resume itself. Oh well, you did. He did this. This is different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is something that not every single candidate has done or that we've seen totally. come across. Yeah. And another way of what you said that really spoke out to me, Shazia, is mm-hmm. is even changing the way you're for lack of a better term, selling yourself. Yeah. Right? Creating a video, 100%. an Instagram page yeah. that showcases all of what you've done. Yes. I love that idea. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think you'll really like this story if you haven't heard it before. Yeah. There was this uh, candidate and they did like a news story on him, which is cool. Yeah. He wanted to work for GQ magazine. Mm-hmm. That was his dream. Yeah. That was his wish. He applied several times. Oh, yeah. Didn't get it. <laughs> right? So he doesn't give up. Yeah. This gentleman... He's like, okay, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to catch their attention? Mm-hmm. He created his own version of a GQ magazine. Uh-huh. And are you familiar with this? A Gentleman's I, Quarterly? Have you heard of the magazine? Yeah, yeah. It's like a magazine. men's fashion yeah. Yeah. culture magazine, yeah. right? Yeah. So he creates a magazine showcasing himself mm, with like it. the front cover, the yeah. highlights of him, the, you know, the, the accomplishments he's made in life along with uh, certain stories showcasing uh, you know, something about him. Yeah. And that got wired through all the way to the director. Right. And that person called this individual himself yeah. and said, nobody has ever wanted this job <laughs> this badly to the point where they made our own product right? of themselves. <laughs> so he put him in the office, put him through the fair process, and he got the job. I love it. Right? Yeah, that's, that's how you do it. That's to your point, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, okay, well, if you yourself believe wholeheartedly and there's no better person than you that you're a good fit for this job yeah now it's not about trying to get that similar piece of paper that was looking at it's exactly like, well, it's gonna do uh, something innovative to get yeah. this in their hands and get them interested totally differentiate yourself in in whatever way that feels authentic to you like i always talk about that authenticity factor is just so important because you're not going to do something that maybe is out of your comfort zone and that's good to push yourself but if you're not able to shine in that platform or that way in which you're telling your story, then it's not really going to sh- you're not going to show up as your best self, right? Yeah. And so it's just challenging yourself to think a little bit differently about how you position yourself. And you have to also be qualified for the job in some capacity. Definitely. And that's easy to highlight if you really think it through and if you have the self-awareness to know, you know, I'm, no, I'm not going to go and apply for a data scientist role because that's not my expertise yeah, or definitely. my forte. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and no matter what I did, that would just not be an alignment, right? Sure thing. So. So I take it you have experience in, in being on the other end of the table mm-hmm. and, and going through the hiring process yes. where you ask the questions and, yeah. and you see if they're a successful candidate. Mm-hmm. I want to know, based off your experience mm-hmm. and uh, you know what you learned from your career, if you could put a percentage on it, how much are you paying attention to the personality of the candidate yeah. outside of really them getting the question mm-hmm. answered properly? I mean, I think it's like a 60-40 situation where yeah. it's a lot about the interaction, how someone shows up in terms of their ability to really just articulate themselves in a way that feels like they really, they're not trying to pull one over on you and they're being authentic. Um, obviously, the experience piece is a big chunk of that, so that's probably where that 40% comes from. But I think a, a good chunk of it is really about how someone comes across and their energy and yeah. the way in which they carry themselves and how passionate they seem. And those are all really, really important things and things that you can teach yourself. And if you're someone like me, I'm I'm very naturally very introverted. And I have had to teach myself to put myself out there in situations to do public speaking to even be having a conversation like this and not always the most natural, easy thing to do. And people can, can evolve and you can teach yourself and you can look past those limitations. Um, even if you're not comfortable, it takes practice, right? To kind of get yourself in a position where you're sitting in front of a hiring team and it's just about how do you harness your authentic self and really showcase the things that you're going to bring to the table that they're going to see value in. And so much of that, yeah, it's personality and that's a big chunk of what we look for definitely mm-hmm. and i mean i am hearing a lot of this now just being in the space of seeing what mm-hmm. companies look for in a successful candidate and it's yeah. really coming down to the lines of okay well you can't necessarily teach someone to have the right personality yeah. a lot of that comes innate totally it's, it's in their nature that that's who they've uh, brought themselves up to mm-hmm. to have the right personality yeah and if that person may not have let's say they only have six to seven out of 10 of what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. You compare that to somebody else who does have 10 out of 10 out of the qualifications you're looking for, yet their personality just, it's not the right fit. Even thinking, okay, can I even last a week with ensuring I can get along with this person? Totally. And I feel like, uh, maybe just to ask you, like, Mm -hmm. are are these questions you ask yourself Mm -hmm. as someone who's looking for talent? Totally. When I've hired for my own teams, it's been about who's going to challenge me as a leader that... They're not a copycat, like copycat of me, and they're not going to just say yes to everything that I say. Yeah. And there's, they're going to be people that have their own opinions, their own personalities, their own way of doing things, and they're going to add something to the team that really diversifies the way in which we all think. That is like immensely important. And I, I've gone through it. I've, I've seen people that have come to my, to interviews with me, and they, they say all the right things, and on paper, they're great. And they're not always the most receptive to feedback because they think that they should have the job. But it's about me as a leader and how am I, I have to always ask myself, do I think I can lead this person? Do I think that I can really bring out the best in them? And if the personalities and the energy is just not aligned, Mm -hmm. it's pretty straightforward for me from there. And it's sometimes hard to give people feedback based on something like that because a lot of times it's that gut feeling. And it's just that innate sense of knowing that someone just maybe won't quite quite do it the right way and absolutely yeah you just trust that feeling of oh I, yeah that yeah. makes sense wow yeah and you know that's the thing honestly like I, i've done a lot of interviews this past mm-hmm. month right that's why this is a very it's a very mm-hmm. interesting subject and 
the thing that it brings me back to, even when I was doing interviews outside of graduating mm-hmm. and even just throughout my life, mm-hmm. I'm learning and coming to acceptance of, okay, well, do I, do I have that first kind of, that first interview basis, like that first date mentality? Yeah. Am I going to be Kenny, yeah. who I'm going to be throughout the entirety of uh, the, the career and yeah. be my bubbly self? Yeah. Or do I feel like I need to hold that back a little yeah. bit? Because there's that, there's that formal totally. essence of the setting, yeah. right? Where, you know, we have to ensure we're aware of how we're sitting, yes. you know, how we're addressing subjects and, yeah. and everything of the like. And I just want to know your opinion on mm-hmm. that. Not necessarily a question, but like, do you see that? that can be a very nerve-wracking, stressful mm-hmm. entity for candidates to think about where they go, okay, totally. well, as much as I want to be my full mm-hmm. self, there's this level of obviously professionalism yeah. and, and being my most excellent self, I have to be on that first meeting. Right. W- without trying to t- tread too far yeah. along from being <laughs> who you really are. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a balance. And because everything at work is a little bit of a... It's a bit of a game, right? There's some politics involved in terms of how you show up and the things that um, maybe you don't necessarily bring to work in terms of the the stuff that you do maybe outside of work. And I don't know, but like at ATB, like one of our values that we rolled out, I think it was about a year ago, is about being um, yourself and courageously yourself and an ally to others around you. And so it's really trying to create that space of openness around, we want you to show up as yourself and we want you to be able to talk about the things that you that you're passionate about and who you are and what lights you up and yeah those are all very positive sort of focus areas but that's the thing that that's what resonates with people right and it's like I I will say too like now if if I went to a company where they expected me to I don't know like be really buttoned up and not sort of speak from shoot from the hip which I which I usually do or have an opinion or want to necessarily have to say when I don't feel like something is going well or it's positive, then it's just not a place that I will thrive in. Yeah. And it's it's okay for other people, but it's not okay for me. Yeah. And it's harder when you're when you're younger, and especially when you're just coming out of school and yeah. even a couple of years out of school. You'll say yes to anything. Anything, any right? Yeah. Right? And it's a learning process, right? And you get better and better at really becoming discerning about what really lights you up and what excites you. And you get more clear on the things that you need to make sure that you're really thriving. And then you can get a little bit pickier and choosier. You have to kind of skin your knees a little bit though and experience what it feels like to, like I think about my brother, he's an accountant and working in big four environment for a long time. That's like very taxing. And it's um, just like soul sucking in a lot of ways. Like you have to really conform to the environment and really be the same kind of person. And I guarantee you there's not a lot of engagement in those types of environments, right? People aren't necessarily happy. They're doing it for other reasons about stability and money and those types of things. And the older you get, the more you realize that stuff isn't as important as just having that sense of fulfillment because you can be yourself at work. And so I would personally love it if people showed up as authentically as they could in that process. I hope for our listeners listening to this, you know, be be your full self. (laughs) Yes, yes, yeah. That's awesome. And that's the thing, right? Like when you can see, even from your perspective, Mm -hmm. representing ATP Financial here, those are the kind of companies you want to work for. Totally. Right? Yeah. I mean, I personally, I wasn't thrown back by this. Mm-hmm. I can imagine other people would have been. Mm-hmm. I was interviewing for a startup company. Mm-hmm. This was, I was still in school at this point. Right. And it was my last semester. And it was funny. <laughs> my interview process was them meeting me on two ends inside a restaurant. Yep. And they served me drinks. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and they, 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 to their defense, they asked, okay, do you... 
do you drink? Like, do right. you like to go out? And of I was course. like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Like, yeah. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to go out for drinks for your interview. That's and amazing. And they wanted to see. It was interesting, right? <laughs> yeah. They wanted to see how I would act, yeah. you know, who my true self would be coming out yeah, after a few. Yeah, that's a good point. And it, it was funny, though. Because yeah. I was like, what a creative tactic to get somebody <laughs> to ultimately tell the truth about themselves. I feel like there's right? a lot of legalities that they might be playing Yes, I know. Startup, right? I mean, like, let me be clear on that. They were very innovative, to say the least. <laughs> getting cold out there guys the temperature is dropping the leaves have fallen and the snow is coming well it's already been here don't worry though the crew at Lux Market have you covered sweater in fine cashmere and merino wools from brands such as Hugo Boss Armani and Gran Sasso coats and jackets from Bellstaff Montclair and Michael Kors. You can get all of your cold weather gear at luxmarket.com. For those of you who don't know Lux Market, that's L-U-X-M-R-K-T.com. It is Edmonton's premier menswear consignment store. So those brands we just talked about are 50 to 90% off their retail prices. Not only can you get the very best in fall and winter gear, but you are getting it at the most amazing prices. The best part is, guys, LuxMarket.com is an online store, so you can actually buy the clothes you need right now. No matter how much time it takes, within a couple of days, your purchase will arrive right at your door. Head over to LuxMarket.com right now. That's L-U-X-M-R-K-T dot com. Pause this video, check it out, and come on back to check out the latest and greatest. When it comes to resumes, mm -hmm. uh, we talked about that. Do you find, Chazia, in three to five years, is the classic form of resumes going to be wiped out entirely? Or how do you see it coming about in yeah. terms of structuring that resume you sent off to something? You know, I mean, I think resumes were sort of designed to navigate through volume and a lot of the ways in which companies utilize technology around applicant systems, they're really designed so that there is that element of the structure of the two-page resume or whatever that would look like. And I don't necessarily seeing the technology evolving at this point, not that I've seen in any of my research or exploration, but I see that the candidate will probably be the ones that sort of push companies to think differently about yeah. how they want to show up in the recruitment process. And so you'll probably see more and more examples of people just going a little bit rogue and doing things that are a little bit different, like the GQ guy, yeah. um, like what I did with the Instagram feed and videos and different forms of really telling the story in a way that highlights the things that you've done and what you've learned from each of those experiences. Um, we're also exploring this this new sort of platform within ATB. It's um, this very visual-based interview process that's really focused on getting to the intrinsic drivers of people so that it's a much less structured, kind of stuffy environment for the interview. And it's more based on storytelling and the candidate talking about, you know, what does a perfect day at work look like for you? And they would pick words and pictures and then tell stories based on that. So I see the resume kind of aligning with that. It's like, how do we get to a place where we get the information that we need because we're still dealing with volume. Mm -hmm. Like at ATB last year alone, we had over 40,000 applications. Wow. And so, lot. yeah, thinking about a team of like six or seven recruiters navigating through all of that, 
the, the information is still going to be needed. It's just how do we get to the heart of the things that are really important through a different medium. And I think that we're going to start to see more and more candidates being the ones that are driving the push away from traditional resumes. Yeah. And out of those 40,000, mm-hmm. if you don't mind me asking, how many of the 40,000 end up being qualified for an interview? Yeah, that's a, I don't know the exact stats, but yeah, like I think, I mean, altogether, we probably hire a little over a thousand people a year. Um, And that's, you know, due to attrition and retirement and stuff. Like you have people at ATB that have been there. I think we just had one guy in HR that that passed 30 years. So you have a lot of people that are lifers at ATB and then you have a lot of new growth and development opportunities. And so I think in terms of the actual interviews, I mean, if you're thinking about a thousand people that we're hiring... I don't know, maybe, I don't know, I, would, I think a couple thousand would be the ones that would be in the interview process because usually looking at three or four people per job that you're interviewing and, yeah. yeah. So it's hard to stand out in that square. Oh, definitely. When you think of the grand scheme yeah. of 40,000 and how much it narrows down. Totally. Right? incredible. Yeah. Now as we, you know, we got to learn a lot about your mm-hmm. career and, and, you know, what it looks like in your space. Mm-hmm. I want to segue this next part into talking about, uh, you know, your, your true passion. Yeah. And what, what you love to speak about <laughs> yeah. and, and what you're you're inspired by. Yeah. And, and truthfully, when I, when I see someone like you, Shazley, mm-hmm. you're somebody who just, you you breathe diversity. Mm-hmm. You, you live by it and you want to make uh, inclusivity happen on all yes. ends, right? Yeah. And I'm sure in the workplace you see it on two ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, which is... A hot topic where it's uh, multi generational yes. uh, employees working yes. side by side, right? Yep. Like the lifer is now yep. in the same position yes. as somebody who just graduated. Totally. You know, what that clash yeah. and what those similarities and differences might look like. Yeah. On top of something that's very important to you, which mm-hmm. is something you started a podcast out of, yeah. which is the Color Gap mm-hmm. podcast. And truthfully, I love how you started that off because Thank you. you're working on such a specific niche mm-hmm. of. Uh, you know, women in the workforce, mm-hmm. especially corporately, yeah. who may feel like they're uh, not earning and deserving the respect that they should get yeah. because of the color of skin they have. Yeah. Yep. Right? And that could be uh, those who've immigrated from a different country, mm-hmm. those who are first generation Canadian. Yeah. You know, they may look like a very different color from the outside, from the norm, mm-hmm. but they still think in the same way in the yeah. inside. Totally. And, and I want to know, just with the little I've discussed about that mm-hmm. vision, mm-hmm. what is the impact that, that you want to make with the Color Gap podcast yeah. or even just in general with this passion of yours? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think for, so Susie Co and I run the Color Gap podcast together and um, we are both obviously women of color, first generation Canadian. And I think the biggest thing that we want, it's kind of twofold. So there's this concept of really getting people to pay attention especially those that are in the majority that are in positions of power and influence that can have an impact on giving people a chance and looking at them as the whole person that they are. And it's about allowing other women of color to really build a sense of confidence around the fact that they deserve to be there, that they're worthy of it and showing them that this is all a possibility. I always talk about, I'm, I think, yeah, now the only visible minority female in leadership and HR at ATB, which is always jarring to say because we're almost 6,000 people. And there's lots of visible minorities and females in leadership, but in HR, it's quite limited because we're a smaller group, about 100 people. And it just feels like you're the only one and there's no one that's kind of paved the path before you. 
And so you're kind of navigating through things, feeling like you're always assimilating and you don't really know that you're doing it because you're so used to, you know, having to kind of navigate through the world by sort of quieting down the things that make you different. Like my name is one of those things that people butcher all the time. And over the years, I've just kind of gotten used to it. And I'm comfortable enough that I don't even say anything about it anymore because it's just one of those things that, you know, people could ask, but a lot of times they really don't. So it's little things like that. They're like subtle, almost microaggressions that you feel within the workplace that no one's really talking about. And we wanted to just put a bit of a spotlight to get people to wake up a little bit around recognizing that diversity is actually like super powerful and it's something that can actually really elevate your business mm-hmm. in a significant way Definitely. you're not getting caught up in this idea of group think where you're having people that look sound think exactly like you yeah. there's just such power in that it's uncomfortable at times because it takes a while to get to a place of really productivity and efficiency Definitely. but when you can get past that there's so much beauty that can be found in that and business results right there's a there's a core connection to innovation and creativity and being able to expand beyond what you may have thought was possible for your business by looking at things through that lens and then just empowering people and making women recognize that just because you haven't seen it before doesn't mean that you can't be the one that does it and just because you haven't seen your mother or your grandmother or even your sisters or your cousins in your life kind of go down that path it's still possible for you to do it. You can do it in your own way Definitely. and hang on to the things that make you unique and celebrate those things. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Is in, in a lot of ways, you're, you're the first adopter in this space, mm-hmm. you know, having the ability to starting a podcast or a mm-hmm. platform in general, mm-hmm. where you could talk about some of these things and bring them to light. Yeah. Right? I always say for those who need to be educated on these certain matters, it's just a matter of putting maybe a movie in front of them or mm-hmm. something yeah. of, of educational value yes. to get them to understand, yeah. right? Or, or, or finding the opportunity to educate them. Mm-hmm. Because I always mm-hmm. I always think the same thing. I've been in very similar circumstances. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I always debate where, and I'm sure you've been in the same case, where you're like, you're like, do I do I take the time to educate them? Yeah. Is it, it going to cause some mm-hmm. sort of awkward conflict, mm-hmm. or you know, are you going to hope <laughs> that you could just get the message across yeah. and let them know, right? Because it's a never-ending battle. Yeah. It's a never-ending battle, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I want to know for you, like, what what are some of the major struggles, you know, you found personally that mm-hmm. you've gone through that really like woke you up and went, whoa, like this is not okay yeah. for me to to be treated this way yeah. in a corporate environment, or, yeah. or for this to happen to those who are in similar shoes as me. Yeah, like, I think for me, I've been fairly lucky in the sense that it's never been necessarily blatant in terms of my experiences. And perhaps a lot of that, too, is that I've assimilated so much. And I always talk about being a coconut, right? Like, Mm -hmm, on the inside, I I feel like I don't necessarily have that deeper connection to being Pakistani and all of these things that make up my larger identity because I've born and raised in Calgary. But that's also part of it is that in Calgary, it's been one of those things where I think generally across Alberta, you just don't see representation. And that's been the biggest thing for me is never seeing anyone that has really trailed, the like blazed the trail before me mm-hmm. and sort of having to figure out like, is this even a place where I belong? Is this something yeah. that I can even do? Because there's something about me that's so different from everybody else that I look around. Um, and then there's been moments that have come that have been a little bit more blatant in recent times where if you talk to senior leaders across any company in any organization, it's, it's often really awkward and uncomfortable because 
it requires them to look at their own sense of privilege. And I've had people comment about how oh, I lived in Quebec and I didn't speak French and I, I totally understand what that what it feels like. And it's like I, I, you can learn French. I can't, I can't <laughs> yeah. change all of this. That's me, right? Yeah. And so it's little things like that that have always been this these moments of why isn't anyone talking about it? And why is it something that we are always just sort of pretending doesn't exist? So that's been the biggest part for me is just try to figure out, like, how do you, how do you navigate it when it, not be a victim, sort of balance that line of talking about things from a place of data and statistics and connecting it back to business results, because that's what gets people's attention in the corporate world, especially, but also recognizing that there's something unique about our experiences that we need to speak to. And I always think about like my fellow like sisters that are women of color that are immigrants to Canada. I've seen firsthand how much they get just disregarded and like not given opportunities to show up in the ways that they really deserve because people don't think that they, they don't have the Canadian experience, whatever that means. Right. It's a struggle for sure to hear that from hiring leaders and having to fight on behalf of people just because you feel this sense of integrity to help them, but also this bond and this connection to saying, that could have been my mom going through that. It could have been me if I had had different circumstances. And we were talking before about, when we think about the age of disruption and automation, I have this theory that I'm totally convinced that those people that are immigrants to Canada are going to have the most luck not even luck, they're going to be the most ready for all of the change because they've already reinvented themselves so many times. They've been told no. They've been told they're not good enough. They've been told they don't have the right experience over and over and over again. And so it's really just seeing it from the perspective of those women and then my own with those little microaggressions around, you know, people not ever getting your name right or taking the time to figure that out. Or you look around in the room and literally there's no one that represents you. Literally nobody. Yeah. Not even a person of color in the room sometimes. Speaking, you already feel yeah, like you feel like it. Right to make your answer totally. And then there's all these other things that are like cultural, right? Where it's like, for me too, like being Ismaili Muslim, I'm pretty lucky in the sense that we have a community that is very focused on education. I mean, everywhere you turn, there's Ismailis that are doctors and lawyers yeah. and really accomplished people. Um, And education was just something that was never a question for me growing up. My parents immigrated to Canada for my brother and I to have those opportunities. And so that's something that we never took for granted. And we're really lucky that we've had that. But my mom, she herself has a master's degree. She was a teacher. When she came to Canada, she had to learn English and kind of start all over again. And she never pursued her career because she didn't think she could. And so it's kind of like trying to navigate through the experiences of what you have growing up and what you saw and your parents struggling. My dad drove a cab and he worked odd jobs and just did everything he could do to make things happen for us. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sort of trying to push past that so that that's not the legacy that I have to leave behind and that we can do more that our parents weren't able to do. Definitely. But it's, it's a combination of a lot of those things. Yeah. Well, I love how you brought in the, the dynamic of what that look like for you to even get here in the first place mm-hmm. right because i 100% agree it's it's a very typical story however yeah. it's a story that people deserve to know mm-hmm. where the, the sacrifices our parents made how they yeah. could have easily done what they got educated in back home yeah. And, yeah. and flourished yeah yet they took a time to step back put their 
kids that maybe don't even exist yet yeah, or the kids exactly. who are already born mm-hmm. first and think, okay, well, what sort of future are we going to make sure we preserve for our kids yeah. to set them for life, to set our legacy, our family, mm-hmm. for generations afterwards for life. Totally. Right? And then we come into Canada, and I love how you said, like, who better than, than immigrants in a sense to to understand and respect what that change looks mm-hmm. like. There's so much change management that had to occur. Oh, yeah. You know, first of all, geographically. Yeah. Right? To go from... Yeah. The Middle East, where it's yeah. pretty much hot all year yeah. round, to deal with the winters that we like, have in shock. Alberta, yeah. that's one thing, right? <laughs> yeah. But a whole other thing is, okay, well, now learning a new language on top of, like, the sociological behaviors mm-hmm. you need with that language. Yeah. Like, I, to this day, still, Shazia, right? Like, I talk about it with my cousin, mm-hmm. and I understand where he comes from when he says this, where he says, Kenny, I'm now here for five years. He's like, my English has gotten better, for mm-hmm. sure. And he's from India, mm-hmm. and he says... My confidence still I, I work on with the language, not because I feel like I can't speak it. It's because it's how I speak it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the emotions behind how I need to articulate certain things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that hit me because I'm like, that that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Even when I go to India, yeah. my Punjabi might not be 110%. Yeah. I can get by with good conversation. Yeah. But sometimes it's okay. Well, how can I express the emotion behind mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yep. Right, because yeah. then there's those factors that come into play. So totally. now it's almost like someone like you who, who feels empowered. Like you grew up in a household where there were certain nuances mm-hmm. and certain values that were shared that were probably very far different yeah. from what it was like in school mm-hmm. and in what it's like to be Westernized. Yes. So yeah. you see the balance of both. Totally. And to your point about being a coconut, mm-hmm. I do not agree more. <laughs> right. I always say I'm like a. The chocolate Oreo, right? Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one, yeah. And I want to know, do you feel like that's more of an advantage for you or a disadvantage? Where you feel like you have both sides? Yeah. Yet at the same time, the corporate world you're in very much so is shining one than the other. Yeah. And I just want to know, is it, is it an advantage for you or a disadvantage to feel like you have a balance of both cultures? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. It's a tough one because I'd say it's an advantage in the sense that I have enough of a sense of whiteness in me in terms of my ability to assimilate that people are not uncomfortable when I'm speaking. They're not having to listen closer because I have an accent or any of those things that are true barriers for other people of color, right? And I've been able to figure out how do I stand out without ruffling feathers and be myself in such a way that I'm able to bring topics like this that are super uncomfortable to the surface and have my white counterparts listen with you know a lot of respect and they want to hear um so in some sense it's been an advantage i don't know that i would have gotten to this level in my career if i didn't have that ability but that makes me really sad on the flip side too right and it's like there's such a disadvantage to it because there's such a disconnection to the idea of who you are in your roots and that connection to a bigger sense of culture. Um, I've been thinking about actually going to Pakistan this year at the end of the year. I'm having a milestone birthday this year. And it's so scary to me because it's like the idea of how comfortable I am with all of the amenities and everything that I have here and how chaotic I know it is in Pakistan, right? And have you been before? Yeah. You know, not for a really long time though. And I have all of my family is there. I have really just one cousin that lives in Canada in Calgary and everybody else is in Karachi. And to me, it's like so sad that I have not had a real deep 
meaningful connection to that part of who I am. And I've, in a lot of ways, just squashed it and just put it away and just turned out my, the white part of the coconut in everyday existence because it's just much more comfortable and it's easier to navigate the world that way because the world responds better when you're like them, right? And you don't really make them uncomfortable. So I'd say it's good in the sense that it's gotten me a little bit further, but it's also really terrible because I don't have that sense of connection. And now through the color gap and through the experience of doing the podcast, it's just been about exploring all of those things for myself and the themes of, for both Susie and I being first generation Canadian, she's Korean. Um, and so it's, it's kind of navigating through that and also seeing that there's so many similarities in those experiences. She's Korean, I'm Pakistani. And yet a lot of what we experience is so similar So it's been, it's an interesting place to be. I mean, I, I certainly appreciate the privilege and I, I recognize it as privilege because I do see so many of my, my fellow sisters of color that have had to navigate things in such a different way because they have all of those markers that people see as different. And I've been able to kind of get away with it because I've been able to assimilate. So, wow. Yeah. That's powerful because, Mm -hmm. you know, you came to a point in your life where you know, first of all, you recognize the fact that you do have more of your attention mm-hmm. and, and more of your time spent on, you know, the westernized culture. Yeah. However, you did take a step back to always find a balance between both. Yeah. And now you're seeking to find that other side of you, right? By yeah. going physically to yeah. Pakistan. Yeah. And for me, it's like, I, I look, I, I relate tenfold because mm-hmm. I look at it Chazia where visually uh, there's this teeter-totter mm-hmm. and I'm the same way mm-hmm. I can't help but like be dumbfounded at like wow like past two years I've been doing the same thing mm-hmm. I'm like I've been so focused on trying to make it in the in you know life here yeah but you, you, tend, you tend to like put on hold that other side of yeah you. and growing up like the teeter-totter for me was okay Bollywood movies yeah you know learn how to speak Punjabi yeah. at like the fruitful age of 18 yeah where I started to become a young adult and right. I was like okay I know growing up I was very white mm-hmm. and I grew up in a white neighborhood mm-hmm. and, and even, you know, my cousins would bug me who could speak Punjabi fine. Yep. They'd be like, oh, you don't even know a word of Punjabi, man. Come on. <laughs> but I was growing up and I was like, ah, who cares? Yeah. You know, I got all my you friends. Like, you know, yeah. like, it's all good. And I love watching my, you know, 50 Cent and Eminem <laughs> music videos. Like, I was all about it. Yeah. But then at 18, again, that's where yeah. the teeter-totter came in. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm like, this is cool. Like, mm-hmm. I, lo- I like my culture. I want to learn more about it. Yeah. And that came from experiencing India as a young adult. And totally. of course, it kind of, it balanced it back upwards when I was like, okay, well, now I'm spending all this time on trying to make it in a mm-hmm. career in Canada. Yeah. That it started to heavily sway back to the other side. Mm-hmm. So I find that there's been moments in my life mm-hmm. where I find certain individuals feel like, oh, well, you don't know enough about this? Like, yeah. Come on, dude. Like, yeah. why don't you know about this? Yeah. And it's like from a Canadian perspective. Mm-hmm. But then I look back and I'm like, well, you know what? Because in my personal time I have and in my mind, mm-hmm. I'm balancing two cultures. Yeah, always. I don't know about fully that much, but hey, I could tell you about a whole other stuff that I spend my time doing. Totally. Right? Which is the Punjabi music, mm-hmm. the culture, the, the certain... Uh, let's say nuances I've learned from it, mm-hmm. right? And then trying to blend it together. And now it's interesting to me where it's like, okay, well, how are we going to shift this, uh, let's say, balance to the second generation yeah. if we choose to stay in town? Totally. Yeah. Right? And it's like, okay, well, are we going to, and I'll ask you, are you mentally going to accept that it's going to be more, more one than the other? Yeah. Or 
you're gonna try and keep it 50-50. Yeah. Like, I wonder if you've reached that point yet. If yeah. It. It's really, it's so scary to me because it's like, the, even growing up, like, I remember um, in in mosque or in Kane, like, you would have to learn Arabic and you would have to learn sort of the prayers and different things. And it was a struggle. Yeah, because it was like, this isn't a part of our day-to-day life. Like, how is this ever? It's like algebra. How is it going to apply to your day-to-day life, right? It's like, what is this? But you started to see even at that point growing up that we were losing so much of those things that our parents naturally had because they grew up in Pakistan and they were surrounded by the religion and the experience and the culture. And that's that's just who they are. And like Mm -hmm. to this day, my parents are still so much more Pakistani than they are Canadian, except yeah. for the weather. They can't handle weather here or weather there. So yeah. they, don't, they, don't, they need to find a, a middle ground. That's but true. yeah, I worry about the next generation because it's already so diluted. And it's like, how do we get back to a place of being really intentional about things where we also have to recognize and celebrate that they are Canadian, right? And that's a big part of who they are. And that's a big part of their identity. Um, but it's that it's that balance of making sure that it's infused in a way that they'll never forget those things. That that's really who they are. And I think there's a lot to be said about the values that can come from being surrounded by community and by religious upbringing and background and all of those things that you can teach. But unless you have community that kind of enforces it and reinforces it, it's hard because kids will feel isolated and they don't necessarily connect to it in a meaningful way unless they have that camaraderie they have those friends and they have those traditions to kind of lean on it's super super important and like I see even like my best friend she's Hindu um, and East Indian and her husband is Trinidadian and he's black and they just had their first child and it's just going to be so fascinating to see how they raise Layla to be a mix of both and I think they both have that real core focus around the intentionality of making sure that it's more present than maybe it was for themselves because they they know what they missed right so i think there's going to be a lot more intentionality behind it definitely yeah and you know what i find we're living in a country and even province and city rather Mm -hmm. you know whether it's calgary edmonton where i'm I'm happy seeing that there's festivals surrounding yeah uh, culture on, on a huge light yeah. right like yeah. you know heritage days yeah. and, and other things like that yeah. they're, they're, they're showcasing what that culture looks like yeah. I find that that's cool yeah. they do it a lot through you know the theatrical sense mm-hmm. um, showcasing like dance yeah. and showcasing food, food of course right? yeah. I would I'd want to see or even know from your opinion that do you find there's a fine line between culture and religion? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times it's, oh, this is culture. We can celebrate it. We can talk about yeah. it from a corporate perspective. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no, this is religion. Yeah. Let's, let's scrap you it. You can't go there. Right? And I'm yeah. wondering, like, what's, why, why do we put a fine line around that? Yeah, it's a good question. And being Muslim especially, it's a really awkward kind of place to be, especially when all of the political economic strife that happens around the world, totally. it's always connected to the sense of people not feeling like they belong and that's, are they not, they're like, they're, there's always a political economic lens to like why things like terrorism and that stuff really happens. Right. And I think it's like, people need to understand though, that culture is, they're very intertwined and they're very married in a lot of ways. Yeah. Right. Like you can't, for me being Ismaili Muslim, but being Pakistani, we were also very much minority growing up. It was a lot of, um, a lot of Ismailis are, Essentially, they identify as being East African um, because that's where a lot of them were raised before they came to Canada. 
And so a lot of the cultural elements that we were raised within, within the Ismaili community, were always connected to East Africa focus yeah. and not Pakistani. And so it's always been trying to figure out that balance of how do we infuse being Pakistani into all of this yeah. and look at it from the lens of we're all one. Yeah. Um, it's just interpretations, too, of different ways of doing things. Like I think about religion is, I mean, I think about it as a connection to something bigger. And it doesn't always have to be structured like that. You can be like myself. I consider myself to be a really spiritual person. And I just have that connection to something bigger than myself. And that's the important factor. And I think people tend to get too focused on, I don't know, like just making it about people versus the spirituality aspect of things. And that's where it gets lost. And that's why it's uncomfortable in corporate environments to talk about things like religion because... Nobody really wants to go there because it, it shows a divide of some sort. And with culture, it's like we can bring you together based on food and based on all of those other things yeah. that really touch on your senses and get you excited about Definitely. things and connect to you, right? Because yeah. it's like it's a one step. It's one step yeah. closer to what we're trying to get to. Totally. And food is that, I think, that vehicle with yeah. anything. Because really you can... You can take religion and all of those differences out the, the window. And as long as you're focused on connecting people through food, none of that stuff really matters, right? Yeah, so that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's really good to know. Mm-hmm. Looking into where Color Gap wants to go in season two, mm-hmm. right? Because you just finished your first season. Yeah, we did. What are some of the ideas or plans you have yeah. for season two? And I'm going to drop one in mind. Okay. Guys, <laughs> I, and I want to know what you think about it. Okay. So there's that you know, differentiation of, you know, the colored minority Mm -hmm. of of female Mm -hmm. workers. I want to know, what about males? Yeah. Is that that a subject you guys want to focus on? Totally. Or is it going to head in a different direction? Yeah. Yeah, I think for next season, I love that idea. I'm definitely going to follow up with you on that. Um, One of the biggest things that Susie and I have talked about is really looking at how do we take it to the next level around... We like the idea that there's a real strong storytelling element to what we do, and we really weave in our own experiences. We weave in experiences of people that we know in our networks, connect it back to. Um, Not only is it about data and talking about numbers and things like that, but it's also, let's talk about our experiences as well. And we want to keep that storytelling element really alive and strong in everything we do, but we also want to start opening people's eyes a little bit more and talk about things that, for most people, they would never have really known. Like I think about when one of the episodes that we're looking at is around beauty ideals and sort of the idea that growing up, for me personally, it was always this idea of white blonde beauty as being the thing that you wanted to strive for that yeah. you would never be able to achieve as a person of color, right? I mean, some people try. That's all you saw. We've seen. They'll dye their hair. Yeah. They'll put on the makeup, right? Yeah. We've seen what little Kim has done to herself and, like, that whole transformation around bleaching her skin and plastic surgery and all of those things. And that all comes from this idea of white beauty being the ideal. And then you think about the beauty industry. Um, I love watching YouTube. I'm really obsessed with just following a lot of makeup gurus on yeah. there. I just find it really interesting because there's such an art behind what they do. And I, yeah. I have never been able to understand how to do it myself. But I think about when Rihanna came out with um, her makeup line, Fenty Beauty, she was the first in, I think it was 2017, yeah. to come out with a very inclusive range of makeup Love. in terms of shades and colors. And it was just shocking because it's like, you don't realize as a person of color that 
I may not necessarily have that issue, but a woman of color is a sister and who's a lot darker, who might be African and have much deeper skin tone, they're not going to be able to find the same types of products and have the same access to those things that a lot of companies completely ignore it. And so talking about things like that, things like our very racist history in Canada and really uncovering some of the things that we've done as a country that we try to pretend doesn't exist. Yeah, we've been talking a lot at ATB, especially around Indigenous reconciliation and really just writing what was done so wrong. Yes. And there's so many other examples, even I'm like, yeah, Japanese people in the way that they were brought to Canada, um, thinking about the railroads and the experience of Chinese Canadians. And there's so much to uncover there that we really want to talk about. Yeah. And then, so Susie has uh, twins, boy and girl. And her husband is half Scottish and half Chinese. And so talking to her about how does she raise Micah, her daughter, to identify with being a woman of color, but also having that lens of being, you know, part of her is white. And there's this dynamic of understanding, like, yeah, embracing all of those parts of who you are. And how do we do that? And then, yeah, having the perspective on part of us even thinks like we want to bring on a white male because those are our the people that are in the most positions of power to talk to what can we do to make sure that you're an ally and how do we have that conversation in a respectful way yeah i like that and then to allow someone like that to be like okay well how do you how do you how does it look like from your perspective yeah do you feel awkward about bringing it yes you know what can we do or or tell you that it, it shouldn't be awkward totally right because yeah. I find a lot of times it's from comedians' perspective, yes, right? Always. I've been listening to a lot of comedians, and they're like, <laughs> "Like people fail to realize that, you know, us us white people, we we're we're more scared than any other time yeah. before because we don't know what to say, we don't know what no. not to say because it's it's becoming a time now where we're speaking up totally. Right? There, there's colored individuals of power of influence yes. who are saying, "Listen, like this is how we feel." Yeah. So it'd be interesting to kind of bring it back to their attention and be like, "Okay, yeah. well, tell us." Yeah. You know, what can we do to now actually bridge that gap? Totally. Yeah, because we're all humans, and at the core of it, I think we all want the same things. And it's like, how yeah. do we just wake people up to the responsibility that they have when they're in a position of privilege and power? We all have privilege, right? And we all have more privilege than somebody else in the world. And we recognize how lucky we are. And it's like, what are we doing with that to make the world a better place, to make it more inclusive and to make things more diverse, not for the sake of diversity, but for actually enhancing everything that we do. Yeah, wow. I love that. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to take the time, Shazia, to, to really appreciate your efforts. And, Thank you. And you know, not only taking a stand to, you know, bring bring the color gap into fruition in the corporate workplace mm. but you're somebody who's wanting to make this uh, you know set out there across every single experience and situation yeah right to me it seems like the premise is, is really letting people understand that there is that gap mm-hmm. and having everyone of color feel equal to others as well yes not just in the workplace but it sounds exactly. to me like you guys are going to tackle yes. you know a lot of different Everything. situations right <laughs> yeah which is super exciting yeah and uh, I'd love to ask for you, like, what is something you feel uh, others can do, our listeners can mm-hmm. do right now to, to better educate themselves yeah. on how they can, uh, you know, be more of uh, f- feeling equal to others who are of color? Yeah. And as well, you know, making sure that that's reciprocated. Totally. You know, I, I think this is maybe easier said than done sometimes, but I think that we all need to look around 
at our own friend circle and the people we keep close to us and intentionally expand that if everyone around you looks exactly like you. Just think about how you can sort of make intentional efforts to connect with people that come from different backgrounds and different experiences and hear their stories and listen to the things that have been truly character-defining moments for them that have made them who they are. You'd be amazed at what it is that your eyes will open up to and your heart will open up to when you surround yourself by people that are just a little bit different, that don't come from exactly the same background experiences because we're all guilty of it in some capacity. There's a sense of comfort, I think, in being with people that think and look and act like you because it's a reflection and it's like someone gets me, right? And you feel like a sense of camaraderie with that. And it just takes a little bit of, of intention, but looking around and if you're seeing, you know, whether you're a leader or you're in just in your friend circle and you're saying, hey, wait a second, everybody is exactly like me and that's yeah. a problem. Even, honestly, even your social media. I know that sounds ridiculous, but expand who you follow. People that you never would have necessarily thought to think about following, just just try it out. Just add someone, follow someone on Twitter, add someone on Instagram that would never normally fall into your normal circle of of what your influence is like Mm -hmm. and see how that kind of changes your perspective and your mindset. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do both of those. Awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing, thank Shazia. You. I want to uh, give you the opportunity now mm-hmm. to uh, let our audience know if, if anyone wants to continue to follow what you're doing yeah. personally yep. uh, on top of what you're doing with The Color Gap. Where can they see all this coming to fruition? For sure. So we do have an Instagram page called, it's at The Color Gap, and it's color, C-O-L-O-U-R, the Canadian version of the spelling. Um, and so we are going to be relaunching um, or restarting our next season in September. Right. And we're available on iTunes, on Google Play, on Spotify. So you can find us um, at any one of those platforms. And you can also follow me on Instagram. It's just at Shazia Nirali. And um, I really just post a lot of pictures of my dog. So yeah. if you don't like that, then awesome. it's okay. Um, but I do talk a lot about ETB. And of course, you're welcome to connect with me. On LinkedIn, um, I'm the only Shazia Nirali on there, so I'm pretty easy to find, and um, would love to to have intentional connections with people on that platform as well. Awesome. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it by the one and only Shazia <laughs> Nirali. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Kenny. It was Appreciate such a pleasure. It. Yeah, that's a wrap. Yay. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Second Floor Podcast. This episode was actually brought to you by LuxMarket.com. If you feel like you enjoyed this episode, please go on iTunes podcast, give us a review, let us know what you think, and feel free to share this with a friend who you also believe would enjoy the episode.